Well, good morning. Um, we'll try it again. Let's go. Good morning. Yes. Um, so it's good to be here. I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've, I could go home after you know, Ran. Uh, what he said this morning was incredible. Beth leading us in worship. And uh, it was just, it's great to be here already. It's all good. Um, uh, I've got a few things to remind you of before we um, get into talk this morning. And there's a number of things coming up. Primarily, if you grab one of these cards uh, in the foyer, it'll have every, all the information you need on it. And it'll follow social media, etc., and you'll get everything there. Um, but I, I really want to highlight a couple of things. So tonight is our like hamper pack and doing all those things for compassion. Um, and it's really important we turn up here. Uh, no, come here. We're going to feed you first with a Christmas cafe, lots of desserts, and then you've got plenty of sugar and energy in you, and then let's... Uh, fill this place with hampers. If you've got gifts still outstanding, get those in uh, because I know it's not out of your desire to do it. It's just sometimes we forget uh, to get these things in place. The one thing that I really also want to emphasize is this uh, Christmas service of reflection. It's something we're introducing this year for the first time. Um, and it seems like a, new, a no-brainer when you think about it, but at Christmas time, uh, no, the way I put it is this, it's not always ho, ho, ho for everyone. It's Sometimes the emotion is deep. There's uh, empty chairs and tables and so on, and that's a reality. Well, we would love to just invite you, you know, and invite you to invite others to this service. So it's next Sunday afternoon uh, from three to four, and uh, we have uh, Alec Robb as one of the people who's coming. He's going to be singing, and with a few other things lined up there. And we just really want this to be a service of hope, no, so um, I, I want to take a minute just to explain. It's not a funeral service. It's a service of celebration for the life of those that you have lost, um, but also a moment to reflect in hope. And so I would encourage you to come and invite others. We have these little cards so that you can write a note on that. We've even supplied envelopes if you wanted to post it or just pop it through someone's door. But something a bit more personal than a text. And just to let people know that you're thinking about them. They may not even be able to come, but the, that expression alone says something. And so I would just encourage you all. But this is, I also want to put out there, I'm inviting you. We're doing this for you as, as well as everyone else. Um, because we recognize that there are so many in this room that with Christmas, there's just a brokenness. And sometimes it's fake smile and let's survive Come and pray. Father, I just want to take a moment just to pray for that reality. Um, people who, well, for Christmas, it's, um, yeah, it's, it is family and it's all of those things, but there's just a, a space. <laughs> and I just ask that you would enter into that space and bring hope life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're continuing on with our series uh, called Glory. Uh, last week was um, me trying to get back into preaching and trying to get into everything else. And thank you for your sympathy Sunday and all your encouragement and support. Um, but this week we're going to continue on into this sense of glory. Um, Glory to God in the highest. We're going to read some scripture and uh, we're going to start off with Luke chapter 2 and verse 13. 
uh, and we're going to read through from there. Uh, these are familiar. This is Christmas. This is uh, one of those passages that you associate with, uh, well, it's Christmas time. Somebody has to whip this out somewhere and, and start to read it. And it says, suddenly a great company, so this is the shepherds who are gathered in the field. Um, God comes to them, speaks to them about this Messiah, the Savior. We touched a bit on that last week. Go and see him. They rush to him. But this, this is the moment. Suddenly a great company of, he- of a heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. If you can see this, read it with me. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, You may be used to another translation. I want to keep highlighting this because this is a better understanding. It's a limited peace. It doesn't mean the joy. The joy that God promises is to to everything. Joy to the world. God has come. Everyone should celebrate. But it's only when we enter into a relationship with God do we truly understand the favor Uh, and this peace that is discussed here. Because until we understand our primary purpose, what we're created for, we will never truly get the peace that God has for us. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, no, oh, come on, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They just went as they were into the presence of God. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So first, shares are the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child. He was named Jesus the name given to him before he was conceived. I also want to read from John chapter one and uh, we're just going to read some verses. So um, if they're coming up behind me, that'd be easier. Yep, there we go. So in the beginning was the word. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is speaking of Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. So it's, it's really emphasizing these things. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if we go to verse 14, and the message puts it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now, this is something, a familiar translation. It's becoming more popular for to read this, this particular verse because it helps us understand that God's moving close. That he moved into the neighborhood. He saw, we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. This is no glory that anyone else has or can show. Like father, like son. You've seen Jesus. You've seen the father. They are God. This mystery of the Trinity. Generous inside and out, gracious, true from start to finish. Grace and truth. And and so we we read these things. Jesus has moved into the neighborhood. Well, I I just want to get straight into it this morning and say this. That the first thing I want you to hear is this. That when Jesus moved into the neighborhood, it was like dirt poor neighborhood. 
This was not some fancy neighborhood. This was dirt poor. So Mary and Joseph, uh, the custom was you brought an offering. Uh, When your child was born, you brought an offering to the temple. It was to be a a lamb. But if you were poor, you brought a couple of pigeons or a couple of doves. You you caught a couple of birds because that was the sign of poverty. No, my granny used to call pigeons rats with wings. So I want you to understand this is poverty. No, a couple of rats for an offering. No, the thing that floats around the place, bring it for an offering. This is dirt poor. No, you're not dirt poor until you've cut up pieces of newspaper and used them for toilet roll. That's dirt poor. See, that's what I remember. I remember as a kid transitioning from going to my grandmother's and and one day I went and she had soft toilet roll. So you're not dirt poor until you've used animal fat instead of butter. See, there's a sense of dirt poor. Jesus came into a dirt poor neighborhood. He moved in and he moved close. See, in this story, we see the, the, the shepherds, the shepherds who would have been poor educationally, economically, socially, religiously, all of those things. And, and, and we see this picture and, and Jesus would you know throughout Luke and throughout the scriptures, we would be reminded of the poor. I remember Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 40 to 45. And he talks about these people who are hungry. And he says, and you give them something to eat. They were thirsty and you give them something to drink. They, were, uh, they had got no clothes on and you, you give them some clothes. Yeah, they were sick and you helped in their process of healing. I uh, know, yeah, you got alongside them, you loved them, you made them that chicken soup and you, uh, no, you washed down their brow and you, you, you just got into their mess. You cleaned up their vomit and you, you just got into that. Those who were in prison and those who were lonely. And Jesus says, you, you do this stuff to, to them, you do it to me. See, in, in this picture here, Jesus is coming into this dirt poor neighborhood to, to, to send out a signal, to show his responsibility, to show that he has, has, has something to say to everyone who is poor and everyone who thinks they are rich. But in this moment, we see a personal responsibility. Jesus is not running away from the problem of humanity. Jesus is entering right into it. You see, personal responsibility is something that most of us run from. But Jesus shows us it's something, if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to run to. We're going to have to get stuck into the mess and get stuck in it. You know, I'm listening to politics at the moment. I'm fed up listening to all of these things, but you got to keep going back for more. No, uh, the shortage in the NHS, the the shortage in this and the shortage in everything else. And then I I hear other things like, if people would just drink responsibly, it would save the NHS three and a half billion pounds a year. Uh, You know, if if people were just to choose, make healthier choices in their diet, it would save the NHS 27 billion pounds a year. And, And I'm reading these things and I'm going... Whatever happened to, you no, know, like just us taking responsibility? Why do we always shove it to someone else? But Jesus, in this moment, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be responsible for the naked. You're going to have to be responsible for the hungry. You're going to have to be responsible for the thirsty. You're going to have to be responsible for these people because, because to follow me is to follow me into the mess. So when we look at this picture, we see, and, and there's something we hear a lot often, and it's right to, to say this, uh, no, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everybody should be welcome at your church. Yeah, so we have in the foyer there, come as you are, 
no, welcome home, this sort of stuff. And everybody should be welcome at your church. Now, if somebody ever walks in here, no matter what gender they confess to be, no matter what educational standard, no matter what, what and, and so on, and the list goes on, they should walk in here and feel loved and welcome. And we get that. We've had that journey. We've had that conversation. And we talk about how the people should be welcome in your home. Now, I was brought up, and I know Sharon was the same, that we were brought up in a home where our parents would have said things like, God, give us this home. It's going to be used for their glory. No, so, and it was. Uh, and one of my earliest memories of, of seeing this action where people said, I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and I'm going to take responsibility for those who are marginalized and set aside was my mom and my dad. I never knew who was going to be sitting at our table when I come home at night. Uh, and that's, that's genuine. I didn't know if they were going to fall off their chair uh, uh, again. I, I just didn't know what was happening, but that was my home. But that was their faith. They took seriously responsibility to step up to these things. You see, we should be welcome in our home. And, and the, the one that stands out for me is a friend of mine, Chris Duffett. And Chris, and I've shared this before, and Chris was a guy who just devoted himself to getting into the darkness, the homelessness. And he would have got inside there and he loved homeless people. He just got alongside him. He realized that, that he had a, a responsibility there and he, he got alongside these guys in, in such an incredible way. They used to kick him and spit on him and laugh at him and beat him. But after a while, they respected him. And on his wedding day, he went around all the homeless people in Chester that he was friendly with and invited them to his wedding. And they came. He took responsibility. See, we can welcome people into our homes. And you know, all I hear sermons lately of, about welcoming people to your table. And Google it, there's loads. <laughs> and this chair. And, and there's something about whoever you are prepared to welcome to eat with you reveals your heart. But in this story, Jesus doesn't come to the home he doesn't come to the religious institution. He doesn't come to a table. He actually comes and lies in the place where the scraps from the table are poured in the trough. The feeding trough. You've got to get that imagery. Because Jesus wasn't starting off with the people at the table. He was starting off with the people who would be eating the scraps from the table. And coming in to the darkness. Jesus in the trough. So when Jesus moved into the, the neighborhood, it was poor. The second thing I want to say is that Jesus came to bridge the gap between the rich and the poor. And I want to clarify something here. See, we talk about people being economically poor, socially poor, educationally poor, all of those sort of things. The reality is in this story, that Jesus is coming with this great leveler. That we are the poor. See, poor is not what you have in your hand. Poor is to do with who you have in your soul. See, the leveler of all of this is it doesn't matter what education you have. It doesn't matter how what wealth you have. No, a couple of years time we would see this whole, uh, this moment where Herod is terrified of a two-year-old baby. And he's the richest man and he's, he's got everything in his hands, but he's terrified that he would lose it all. 
She can have everything but still be poor. And in this moment, we have this reality where Jesus comes to bridge the gap between the rich and the poor. So what I want you to get is this, that the only one who is truly rich is God and everyone else is poor. The only one who is truly rich is God. Everyone else is poor, spiritually poor. And that's why Jesus came. Spiritually poor. The problem with familiar stories is at times we, uh, we buy into what everyone else thinks. And I want us to reread this. In a con- I'm just going to explain it. So Jesus came into Bethlehem. Okay, so Mary came into Bethlehem to give birth. There was no room for her to give birth. And all of a sudden we see a rejected Mary. But could it be that she was going to stay with family and their home was so full because everyone had gathered to fulfill the census that that actually they were saying, no, as family, we still have a responsibility to find somewhere for you. Would you stay in the stable? See, we're, we're conditioned to see something, but what I want you to see is this, that I have sat with many a person at the end of their life and they've never talked about how great their home was. They say things like this, as long as you've got a roof over your head and you're warm and safe and surrounded by your family, you're truly rich. So who was truly rich in this moment? See, Jesus was surrounded by a loving family in a place of security, in a place of warmth. And the reality is that to many people in this world, this is home. It's just in Western eyes, we read this through a tinted light. We read this in a way that we look at it and go, wow, could you imagine sleeping in a stable? But tonight there are millions and millions of people who will go to sleep in a stable and feel like they are blessed because they have a roof over their head and they're safe and secure and warm. And they will believe they are rich because they're surrounded by the people who love them. When we look at this story, we're reminded that God alone is rich and everyone else is poor. Last week, we talked about the glory of God and uh, how that God intended the glory, his glory to be revealed through us, through humanity, and then you know, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He intended that his glory would be revealed through creation, but in humanity, instead of us pointing people to creation who would point them to the creator, we get stuck at creation and said, well, if I can make something and hold it and have it and all of those things, that will become my God, not the God. Uh, And we still do it. That's the reality of it. And that his word, through living out his word, we would reveal his character. Because the glory of God is the invisible, indescribable, no incomprehensible God being made visible in a manger. That's the glory of God. That's him being seen. So the indescribable God is no longer invisible. The incomprehensible God is no longer invisible. We can know him. We can see him. And there was to be this plan that God's glory would be revealed through creation, through man, and through his word. But we rejected his word. We got stuck at creation and we fell short of his glory. So in the beginning was the word. We've read that. 
And it's familiar because in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. I want you to see that God didn't come into time. God created time. We have this sort of aspect that somewhere in the start of it all, that you know, like Jesus was sort of at the start and kicked off the time. No, Jesus has always been. And he made a creation that would ultimately result in time. He didn't move into a neighborhood at that time in Genesis. He created the neighborhood. He saw there was darkness and said, well, let there be a a, a big light in the sky that will rule by day and a big light in night which will rule by night. And we have these verses and it says, then God said, let us make in our image according to our likeness man. I want us to see a little bit of that and then we're going to come back to the glory stuff. So uh, I'd love for Sharon and Rand to come up and help us here. And um, Okay, let's welcome Sharon and Ryan. Okay, so uh, it's not complicated. So I just need you to stand in front of the whiteboard. A bit bit further. Good, that's great. Okay, so... Uh, what happens is that when we read this scripture about being made in the image and the likeness of God, it's this word shadow. And so I, I want us to try and grab and get our heads around it a little bit. And so what happens is if I put a light in Sharon's eyes, no, if I put a light, it'll reflect a shadow. Okay. And so what is being said here is that we'll keep it Christmassy. So if it was a reindeer standing in front of the, the white screen and we'll put the torch on it, what would be reflected is a reindeer. a reindeer. Okay. Let's go Coca-Cola holidays. Common if a polar bear stood in front of the, uh, would reflect a, okay. Uh, so think of any animal in the world and you put it in front of and put a light on it, it will reflect its own image. But Ran, if you could put this light on Sharon and just help us just see what is being said here is this, that we are not like the animals. You got to get that. We're not like all of those things. We're, we're not like the reindeers and the polar bears and all of the animals that cover the sea. We as humanity have been created in the image of God. So when the light shines on us, we reflect Jesus, okay? So whenever we, thank you guys, you can go and sit down. And so we, that was the Olympus clap ever. And so we reflect Jesus and this is the shadow. We are not Jesus, we are not God. There only is one God, but what it is saying is that we, when the light shines on us, we reflect the image of Jesus. So that stuff gets messed up but then the glory of the Lord comes see we were called and set apart to reveal the moral character of God that he's just he's good he's kind he's graceful he's truthful we were called to reveal that you may stop breathing but you'll never stop living in other words we are the only eternal beings and we reflect the eternal character of God, we were revealed to show this unique relationship with God. And we read in Genesis how that humanity, man and woman, walked with God, 
walked in the cool of the day, walked in the garden. And then when they fell from God, we have this question where God walks into the garden and says, where are you? And they're hiding. And that's the question that still echoes around humanity's heart. Why am I here? Where am I? And it's only God can ever make sense. Humanity was put into this unique situation among creation, where it was given authority over the animals. The lion would lie down with a lamb. They would have authority to name the animals, set them apart. They would um, be born in equality. Now, equality is not a new thing. It's the oldest thing where God made man and woman in his image and give them authority together. Equality was always God's plan from the beginning. And in this moment, we have this equality. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no crying. There was no tears. The earth was filled with this potential for humanity to grab hold of and and, and make from it and create into. You think what man has done fallen from God what he could have achieved in God. But in the middle of it all, there were still these parameters. And I I wanna just highlight that, that in the perfect garden, in the perfect relationship with God, there were still parameters. And why am I highlighting that? Because I hear a lot of conversation around the grace of God that says, well, I am forgiven, therefore I can do anything that I want. But in the perfect situation, there are still parameters. There are these parameters that say this, that I'm gonna set some parameters so you always know that you're the creation and I'm the creator God. There's always gonna be parameters. And so we fell from this standard, we fell from this glory and then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and moves into our neighborhood. I wanna say Jesus moved into a poor neighborhood, Jesus moved into our neighborhood to bridge this gap between between rich and poor. The only one that's truly rich is God and everyone else is poor. But I also want to say this, that he moved into our neighborhood so that he could move into us and so that we could become a movement to reveal his glory. I want you to get that. So he moved into the neighborhood so ultimately he could move into us so that he could live in us by the power of his spirit and in that he would move us to become a movement to reveal his glory. And that's the plan. Reinhard Bonke. Some of you all have heard of him. An evangelist, he's called the African Billy Graham. He passed away this weekend. And his whole message was fire. If you want to reveal the glory of God, you gotta have fire. You gotta have the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the scripture tells us. You know, in Matthew, there will, there will be, I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This Jesus who will come and baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We read in Acts 1 and 8 that you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will show and reveal who I am. The invisible God will be revealed through you when you are receiving the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and so on. And this sense of we need the Holy Spirit No, Dr. John Andrews spoke last Sunday night and he talked about being a a light on a hill and and, and not tying your light under a basket and putting it on a stand so people can see. And this intentionality, and he took out his phone and and he showed how the, the littlest light can make 
a difference in dispelling back the darkness. And don't get me wrong, I love that illustration. But in the context of the Bible, if there's no fire, there's no light. And you see, if we're going to be a light on a hill, if we're going to reveal the glory of God, if we're going to do these things, we need fire. We need Holy Spirit power from on high. And see, in the day of Pentecost, we're told when they were filled with the Spirit, there was this tongue of fire that appeared on their heads. That was them lit for purpose, sent out to be a witness of God's invisibility, would be made visible through their lives, and they would give glory to him. This was the moment. But if you and I want to be a light on a hill or a light on a stand, if you and I want to truly reveal the glory of God, we need fire. We need fire. Reinhard Bunke said, the problem is that I have observed in services where there's been millions of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, there are those Christians who stand in their asbestos suits. You see, we can't talk about the glory of God and revealing the glory of God without talking about the fire of the Spirit. See, asbestos happens when we become happy and content with the condition that we're in. Asbestos happens when we don't want to be changed and we don't want to respond. Asbestos happens when we develop this neutralness of it's not my responsibility, it's something, someone else's. Asbestos sometimes happens through callous and, and what I mean by that is just pain of life. And the scars just get hard. But there is no light without fire. And we need fire to reveal his glory and his character. The invisible character and qualities of God made visible. So Jesus moved into our neighborhood. When we think of the word neighbor, Jesus was asked, what's it all about? Well, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. There's something about this relationship with Jesus when we see his face that we go away and we can't help but reveal the glory of God. The, the shepherds, they, they saw him and then just go away going, glory to God, no, oh, just glorifying God. They just can't help but pour out when they see the face of Jesus. Ran reminded us this morning that sometimes the face of Jesus can become familiar. He can just become another face in the crowd. Love your neighbor as yourself. The last thing I want to say is he moved into a poor neighborhood. He came to restore the gap between the poor and the rich. He moved into a neighborhood to move us into us so that we could become a movement of his glory. But this was a movement of the poor. And there's lots of things I can say on this. But I want you to know that the poor are not the people we serve. <laughs> we are the poor. 
And Jesus came to make us rich so that we can reveal to the poverty of humanity the richness of God. And sometimes we think that the poor are our target instead of the poor are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, the first experts on Jesus, if you were looking at an expert at that moment, the, oh, the people you would have gone to were the poor shepherds in the fields because they had seen him. A movement of the poor. So love God. Well, that's the Christian bit, isn't it? We all love that. I'm a Christian. Love God. Do love him. It's so good. Just love him. Good church on Sunday. It's really good. Read the Bible. No, daily reading. It's all good. Uh, I even get it like, like sent to me. It just pops up. Wow. Uh, and it's all good. So I love God. But love your neighbor. See, throughout Luke, every page seems to be about connecting with the poor. We think of the story of the Good Samaritan and you know, where the, the, the person asks, who is your neighbor? In other words, what is my limited obligation towards my responsibility towards everyone else? And what is said here is Jesus is very clearly pointing to, if you're going to love your neighbor, your neighbor is in the ditch. He's the one who's naked. He's the one who's starving. He's the one who's thirsty. He's the one who needs healed. He's the one who's broken. He's in the ditch. And then we hear these words, do this and you will live. Do what is being done here by the Good Samaritan and you will live. Larry James wrote a book called The Wealth of the Poor. And he was asked this question, what is the main thing that those who have do to perpetuate poverty? And his answer was this, the main thing we do that perpetuates poverty is we do nothing. And I have been thinking about this message to the poor and I can honestly say I've been asking God to break my heart again for the people in the ditch. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I was trying to think of a moment where I saw the best of humanity and the worst all in one moment. And it goes back to, I think it was probably about 19 years of age and 18, 19, and I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ at the time and I was at um, a nightclub, that's what we called them then. And we were there and everybody was um, off their head on something. And, and I remember this very clear moment where the lights came on. So the lights come on and everybody's like, no, you think about it, a nightclub, everybody off their heads and then the lights come on. It's like, who has ruined our party? And then in this moment, what had happened was that somebody had been stabbed multiple times on the dance floor. And why do I say so the best and the worst? Because it's like when Jesus came, the light of the world into humanity to push back the darkness. 
Well, see, in that moment, I saw the best of humanity. I saw people run to his help. I saw people who saw him, and he was virtually naked. I saw people running to help him and love him and get him the support he needed, and, and just, it, it was like an incredible moment. But in the middle of it, a chance started to happen, and it went like this. Let him die, we want to dance. 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 And I will never forget that moment. Now, what's that got to do with this moment? Well, I've been listening to those old, like, you know, Bob Geldof whip out the, the pop stars of the world and let's pull out a song and remind everybody that there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. And, and, and there's just this moment of whenever you are all partying out there, whenever you are all doing their dancing, there's children dying. And that's what those moments are about. You feed the world. You think of somebody else this Christmas. Because while you're dancing and partying and celebrating, there are people dying. That's heavy for Christmas. But I want to encourage you because I find more and more this is so important that you get this. That your purpose is not the party. It doesn't mean you don't have fun, don't have joy, but your purpose is not the party. Your purpose is to make a difference and reveal the glory of God in the darkness and push it back and bring healing to those who have been wounded in the darkness and, and to clothe them and to love them and to feed them and to, because that's the adventure. And if you don't get that, you'll settle for the party. You'll think it's all about the party. You'll think, well, it's oh yeah, let's uh, let them die. I want to dance. It's so much more. So, these are the sort of things that I read and go, could my life do something like that? Bob Pierce. Um, anyone ever heard of Bob Pierce? Bob Pierce. Okay, so bear with me. Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce uh, was an American evangelist who was also a war correspondent and he went to Korea. And when he went there, he, he saw this um, girl and they called her White Jade because her skin was slightly different to everyone else's. She was an orphan. And he thought to himself, what can I do here? And what he did was this. He said, I will commit to giving you $5 a month so you can go to school. Uh, and that's what he started to do. When he got home, he, he, he realized, I, I need to do something here. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he was convinced that if I don't reveal the invisible image of God to these people, they will never understand who God really is. And so he set out with this determination to, to reveal who God was. You see, he read the story of the 5,000 being fed by Jesus and thought, well, if Jesus won't send them home hungry, no matter how great the task is, surely I shouldn't send any of the kids home hungry. Surely I should find a way, no matter how great the task is, surely I should reveal to them that if Jesus said he's the bread of life, that if I feed their stomachs, then I can tell them that he can feed their souls. And he started what we now know as world vision. And this was his mantra. 
Can we just reflect God's unconditional love? Can we give just one child a chance? Now, it seems pretty like $5 a month and all of those things, but he was the one who got the, the, the movies made that were shown in the 80s on TV during the Ethiopian famine that inspired the song, Feed the World. Now, because what is happening there is inside humanity, we know we're made in the image of God. It's just broken. And we want to find a song. We want to find a song that says, no, let's not just keep dancing. Let's feed the world. Let's not just keep doing these things. Let's, let's, let's help them. Let's make this world a better place. Let's, let's, because there's something in us. It's just broken. He was the one who would say, let's end polio. And it used to be there were thousands, tens of thousands of new cases of polio a year. But because of Bob Pierce, last year there was only 29 cases worldwide. And why did he do it? He said this because I want to reveal to those who are sick that Jesus Christ is my healer. And if they understand he's their healer, maybe he'll let them heal their soul. He revealed the invisible character of God, he made it visible so they would glorify God. Do you, do you get it? Because of Bob Pierce and the influence that people like World Vision and that now have, that it's believed that the, the global water crisis will be solved in our lifetime. Why? Because he believed that Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will give you a drink that you will never thirst again. But until we quench their physical thirst, we can never satisfy their spiritual thirst. There's a picture going to come up behind me and, and it's these two guys. Now, who are they? Well, the guy on the right killed the guy on the left's wife and all of her family. You see, Bob Pierce believed that Jesus Christ was the one who could reconcile all men to God. And so they set out reconciling each other to, God, to each other to show that if Jesus can do that, he can reconcile them to himself. And these two men would now describe themselves as closer than brothers. In India, in certain parts of India, women or young girls are considered property there's no use to educate them because they're just going to become brides and you know they're just going to be owned by some guy and Bob Pierce and World Vision moved in and said can we bring you out of the darkness into the light and can we have a conversation that says that all are created equal see what he believed was if I can reveal through my life the invisible character of God, 
reveal his glory through the fire of the Spirit. If I can do those things, I can see people's lives transformed and changed, not just feed their bellies, but fill their souls. So glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. So the challenge is this. That Jesus came and moved into a poor neighborhood. It turns out we are the poor. That God alone is rich. But when you see the face of God, you understand that through Jesus Christ, you become the richest human on planet earth. You gain access to his kingdom and all of his supply and all of his wealth and all of his goodness. All of his truth and all of his grace. Now, when when we capture that, we realize that God has bridged this gap between the poor and the rich. That no one is truly rich without God. And when we understand these things, there's something in us should cry out. I want to reveal the glory of God everywhere I go. And it might sound heavy, and, and I'm saying it in this room because I know how good you guys are at showing up with gifts for kids and, and, and going out and helping people and all of those things. We have a strong compassion culture here. But we want it to remain strong and get stronger. So I want to ask you, is it time to stop dancing? And start bringing life to the dying. Because that's the story of Christmas. It's not. We want to dance. Let them die. It's when the light comes up. We run into the darkness. Can we stand together this morning? So life is more than a party, it's purpose. Um, I tell those stories not to help reveal a part of my past. It's to help you see that we need to, at times, step away from the party. My burden this morning is really that you and I would realize that we can't do this without fire. (laughs) Oh, Jesus went down at his baptism. When he rose, he was filled with the Spirit of God. See, this little baby 
although he was fully God and complete, he needed fire. Asbestos suits. You'd rather criticize than change. <laughs> You'd rather dance. Glory to God in the highest. Far. I would like each one of us here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to just take a moment and take off that asbestos suit. <laughs> um, no, take off your tired suit, take off your weary suit, take off your, I've got a hundred things to do today, so take off your busy, distracted suit, take off your wounded suit, take off your, and just in this moment, would you ask that the Holy Spirit would come on your life in fire? That you would burn so bright that Jesus would be seen. See, it's this love God, love neighbor. And you know, we can do the love God bit, but if we're not doing the love neighbor, we're not really doing the love God bit. It's, it, it, you can't just pick one and throw the other one to the side. And I ask myself, literally, I think of my neighbors on my street. Do they know I burn for Jesus? Far. 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 So would you ask for far to fall? Some of these old school panties out there know what I'm talking about. Far to fall. Far. Far. There was no light in the Bible without fire. You can't be a city on a hill that's seen without fire. You can't light a candle or an oil lamp without fire. We need fire. We start to pray. You pray your prayer and ask for fire.